0: So welcome to this week's episode of Tolkien with Friends. Today, we're excited to invite our friend Tim, who you may know as GlamdrinkFoehammer on TikTok. Thank you so much for joining us today.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited. I love the show and I'm excited to be a part of it.
0: Yeah, well, of course we had to involve you. You're one of our greatest Tolkien friends on the interwebs and, you know, eventually real life whenever <laughs> that, that is able to happen. Um so now, Tim, before we jump into today's chapters, could you tell us and listeners a little bit more about like your introduction to Middle Earth?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So when I was, I must have been nine or 10 years old. So this is uh, just before, like the year before the trilogy came out. Uh, my brother's best friend was an avid reader. Um he would escape into books as a kid he didn't have the best life growing up and he used to come over to our house every weekend and he'd be like hey Tim Tim let me tell you the story about this character her name is Eowyn and she's really badass and I'm like okay cool I loved you know wizards and dragons and knights in shining armor so I was super engaged right off the bat and he used to draw pictures of the, the dwarves and the hobbit and Gandalf and I was immediately super enthralled into this world before I'd even picked up the book or seen anything on a screen. And uh, when I finally got to go to see Fellowship of the Ring, my mind exploded. And I had my 11th birthday party at the movie theater with friends. And I was so sucked up into this. And I got for that birthday, the trilogy and the Hobbit box set. And I read all the books before the two towers came out. And my life completely changed forever. Here we are, twenty over twenty years later, and I'm still an That's avid wild. reader. Super into this; it, it consumes a lot of my spare time,
2: mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Um,
1: and I still get so much enjoyment out of it. It's it's never lessened.
0: Yeah, it it's it's wild how I don't know there. There's something, and you know, like we talk in this podcast about the differences between the books, and the movies, right? But there is when examining them just, like, as themselves, I mean, they are so... They're literally magical. Like, not just, like, the world that they're in, but, like, what they were able to build, like, both behind the scenes and on screen. You know, I think... And just, like, seeing the actors together, like, on and off, you know, in and out of the story as well, I'm just, like... Everyone just seems like, so legitimately cool that... Mm-hmm like you want to be a part of it on on top of you know the story being one of like the greatest of all time um so yeah it's uh so many so many good memories with with those movies and uh will always hold a special place in our hearts
1: absolutely
0: yeah so awesome so If we want to get started, started. Um, Today, we're covering the chapters, the Palantir and Minas Tirith. And um, also realized while, you know, just doing my research, but we're also um, essentially finishing the Journey to the Crossroads chapter in this section of the movie. Um, And that would be the extended edition of Return of the King. Um, And this part that we're talking about today, it starts at about like 18 and a half minutes in to, and ends at about minute fifty four fifty five, So we go from, it's like the end of the Isengard situation for now, and then um, all the way to Pippin and Gandalf getting to Minas Tirith um, and kind of settling down for what comes next. So now, like, super broadly speaking, I wouldn't say that, the, you know, that there are some parts that we've talked about where I'm like, ugh, this is just like Pretty wrong in comparison to the book, but I, I wouldn't really say that about this part. Um, something like wrong. I mean, if you just watched it, you would know essentially what happens, right? Like mm. it's and there's a lot of similarities. Um, I think it's one of those where there are just like a few tweaks made, and um, you know, good and not bad, but different. I guess you could say um, so. We'll just you know go through it kind of as the movie presents it, and then talk about it in that section in comparison to the book. So um, this part of the movie starts with our crew at Eddoras, where they have or they're having like a victory party um, after Helm's Deep, and now like there's nothing to compare this to because this doesn't happen. Um, <laughs> but what actually after Isengard, they the story continues with them like just leaving Isengard and there's like a camping scene where a lot of the stuff that is relevant to the books happens but in the movie they, they're at Edoras you know uh, Gimli and Legolas are having their drinking game, Mary and Pippin are dancing on a table you know it's all like chill fun vibes and Théoden is kind of being a little sad Sally to Eowyn where he she's he's like I'm happy for you about Aragorn and I'm like wait so you guys are just thinking this is happening. That <laughs> like, Eowyn and Aragorn is a thing. Um I don't Aragorn has I don't think Aragorn movie Aragorn has ever led Eowyn on, like no. in any so I don't I don't know where they I guess he's just like, well, she likes him, so I'm sure it'll work out. Um but he says a line where he's like, it was not Theoden of Rohan that led, mm-hmm. you know, the victory at Helm Steve. And I'm like Well that's not fair. <laughs> like, like, obviously, like, in the movie they gave Aragorn, like, a big part, but it is Theoden's idea to, like, ride out and, you know, kick the orc's butt at the end, so. Mm-hmm. I was like, sorry,
1: Theoden. Yeah, the, the movie did a good job of trying to make Theoden, like, a, I'm still not worthy enough. They really lean into that, the entirety of his storyline, mm-hmm. all the way up until his uh, completion of the story.
0: Yeah. it's They took that one line... That he says um, to Saruman, they give it to Saruman in the movies where he's like, I'm a son, of, a lesser son of greater sires or something. Mm-hmm. And they really are like, you know what? We're going to base all Thayden's character Wait. around this one line. Um, but, you know, we stand Bernard Hill. And I, love, I do love Thayden in the movies. And like this movie is really where I think I really fell in love with Thayden. You know, just, like, so many... He he just delivers everything so beautifully that I'm like, you can make him say whatever he wants. i would be happy. (laughs) So, but the main thing that happens at the Edoras scene is Pippin picking up the Palantir. And so that's kind of what I want to focus on. So, in the book, this happens after, like, a day of riding away from Isengard with the plan to head back to Helm's Deep. Like, In the morning. Um, And similar to the movies, everyone is sleeping. But Pippin can't stop thinking about the plant here. So he, you know, sneaks over to Gandalf, who is kind of sleeping with his eyes open, which is true. I think it's a little more unsettling in the movie, (laughs) personally. Because the way...
1: Cracked open in the book, and he's just wide-eyed, staring in the movie.
0: (laughs) Yeah, because I specifically... It's interesting because Tolkien specifically mentions being able to see his eyes out, like through his eyelashes, so obviously, like the the lids are closed enough to that for the eyelashes to be covering the eye, but probably not as uh, easy to do. It's probably easier for actors to have them totally open and more creepy. Um, it's fine. Uh, <laughs> so, and you know, Pippin does in the book he replaces the planter with a rock, and in the movie that he does it with a jug, which mm-hmm. I thought was cute, um, but. You know, and, you know, he he, does it. He kind of talks to Sauron. And that's not, like, wrong or anything. He's, it's a little more dramatic in the movie. You know, he, like, rides around. Aragorn has it for a second. And, you know, before Gandalf finally wakes up. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. Exactly. We're all kind of like, whoa, shit. <laughs> um, <laughs> but what I love about the location in the book is that there is a heightened sense of urgency. You know, they've literally just left Isengard. Like, you can, you know exactly where you've picked up from the story. There hasn't um, even been time to get back to Edoras or, to, or anywhere to have a party. But after Gandalf figures out what Pippin has said to Sauron, he immediately starts making plans for everyone to, like, quickly get to Helm's Deep at dawn. Like, they've already sent some people ahead and everyone's planning to, like, get up and go real early. But then, the, and Anna. I think you'll really like this part. Um, at that moment, a shadow fell over them. The bright moonlight seems to be suddenly cut off. Several of the riders cried out and crouched, holding their arms above their heads as if to ward off a blow from above. A blind fear and a deadly cold fell on them. Cowering, they looked up. A vast winged shape passed over the moon like a black cloud. It wheeled and went north, flying at a speed greater than any wind of Middle-earth. The stars fainted before it. It was gone. Gandalf cries out, Nazgul, the messenger of Mordor, the storm is coming. The Nazgul has crossed the river. Ride, ride, wait not for the dawn. You know, let not the swift wait for the slow. Ride. And so that's when he's like, Pippin, you're coming with me. (laughs) And then they scoot off. Um, and everyone else is kind of like, oh shit, you know, gets ready to go back to Helm's Deep. Um, and I just love the visual of that, and I do like the whole situation of the Na school. Like I know that we get it into Towers via Osgiliath in the movie, but I, I just really like that there's always this like it's a it's a reminder that the power of The Naz school isn't necessarily like what they do, but like the fear that they inspire Mm -hmm. is is their greatest weapon. Like they don't even have to; they just have to be around, and people just stop in their tracks. And it's like that makes it easy to to win in their situation. But there, they weren't looking for them; they were on a mission, Um, and I believe that mission was to. They're obviously going to Isengard to talk to Saruman, but Tim, do you remember what it, like, because obviously Sauron hasn't had enough time to send a Nazgul to pick him up yet. This one is on a different mission. Um, And I think it's, is it because he's heard about the defeat at Helm's Deep?
1: I I think it might have just been um, uh, the fact that Saruman hasn't been talking to Sauron at this point. And Mm. and seems like, I want to hear news right now. Uh, we were talking all of the time, you know, Saruman would always have to answer his call and all of a sudden he just stopped showing up. Um, yeah, Gandalf says something like, "It's impo- it would have taken a few hours for Nazgul to come in this short amount of time. This must have been an earlier messenger that was sent. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think that's what it was.
0: Yeah, I think that's right. Um, and, and it's like, and I get it as far as like pacing, you know, like they're trying to have kind of like a, a lull with the party you know things are not too bad and then pick it back up again with like the you know the planter scene um and it's interesting you know mary mary's comments to aragorn after the fact when pippin is being taken away they make it much more heartfelt in the movies oh, you way know way more heartfelt like, in the book, he's just kind of like, well, some people have all the luck. You know, he didn't want to sleep, and he wanted to ride with Gandalf, and now basically, like, his wish was granted. Mm-hmm. He didn't have to sleep, and now he gets to question Gandalf all the way to wherever they're going.
1: Mary was um, surprised he didn't get punished for what he did. It's like, yeah. she, she turned him into stone yeah. and left him here as, like, a warning.
0: <laughs> yeah, it, and it's and instead, you know, he's just like... You know, there's kind of showing Mary is, like, the more aware one, which isn't wrong, because later we'll see that um, when Pippin is questioning Gandalf on the way to Minas Tirith, and um, I think when he's telling him about Denethor, and Gandalf is like, we shouldn't talk about Aragorn um, because of, you know, the kingship stuff, and he's like, kingship? <laughs> and he's like, yeah. If you have walked all these days with your, mind, what is it? Your, 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 mind and your ears closed, or your mind asleep and your ears closed? Wake oh up God. now. So I always thought that was so. It's like it's not inaccurate to have Mary being the one that's like telling Pippin, hey, this isn't, this isn't a vacay that you're going on. Like
1: even even earlier in chapter, you you really get a a. a- a glimpse that mary has way more perception of what's going on where he's like i saw a change in gandalf mm-hmm. he's much more powerful now pippin's kind of oblivious could be just like the temptation that he's going through at the time all he can think about is the palantir um but mary has already shown that he's maturing a lot during this and it, he is the one that is really the the more wise i guess i would say of the two
0: yeah i right. would say so yeah So I I do, I do, I did appreciate that change. I thought it was very sweet. And also Gandalf's line to shadow facts is like so much better in uh, the movie. The, you know, ride shadow facts, show us the meaning of haste instead of just away shadow (laughs) facts (laughs) away. And I'm like, how many times have I said, show us, show me the meaning of haste to like just randomly in conversation after that too many times. It's a great line. Um, and the the movie is really good at, like, making things that feel very tolkien but they're not, and mm-hmm. sometimes doing things that are, like, totally off, but it's funny, it's, it, it's funny those moments where it feels like, I don't know, like, sometimes it's like, yes, that should have been in there, and other times it's like, mm, no, you didn't need to deviate that much. <laughs> uh but um, you know it's a, so we're, we're gonna hear more about Marion Pippin or Pippin Gandalf in a second but I at this point when is when like during this time when it's flipping back and forth you know there's a moment where Aragorn and Gandalf are talking about Frodo and you know in his you know like, like there you have, there's no news of Frodo, and I'm like, well, where the heck would you get news about Frodo? Mm-hmm. You guys are, like, a countries apart. Um, <laughs> there's no telephone. We've established this. The only way to communicate like that is with a palantir. <laughs> here. Um, so, but, you know, with Gandalf is, like, you know, in his heart, he feels that Frodo is alive, and he's like, yeah, okay, we're going to go with that. Um, and so that's when it, like, takes the opportunity to flip back and see more of what Frodo, Sam, and Gollum are doing. Um, and really, I think that they, in the book, we really only have, so far, have only had one conversation with Gollum really talking to himself, and that was in the Dead Marshes. And Mm -hmm. they've, in the book, and they've used that multiple times. Like, they use that, um, you know, when he's talking to himself after Ascilius, they have, you know, there's the very larger, the larger scene, um, after the black gate where he's in the movie where he has that really um where he tells his bad self to go away basically um and then they we see it again here and this one is pretty similar and i feel like they're all they all have like signs that point to that dead marsh's conversation like lines that they pull from that you know like we could have her do it stuff like that oh yeah um and in this one, version of it, you know, he's kind of plotting again, but this time he's like much more explicit about wanting to actually kill Frodo and Sam. And but this is the only time in the movie where Sam actually overhears him. But in the book, he, you know, he kind of plays it cool. He just he doesn't let Gollum know that he hears him, and then he makes it out as if he just like wakes up casually, and it's like, hmm, like what's going on, you know? Uh, but here. Sam hears, you know, Gollum making threats to himself about Frodo and Sam, and so he kind of attacks him. And um, the way that they have Frodo react, and it's like, I understand sometimes Inubita is like, acts like he hates Frodo, because the movie Frodo is so different, and it really starts to show up with, the whole Gollum stuff, whenever Gollum is around, Frodo was just so, so different in the movies. Um, like, the, and for example, like the whole scene where Sam is like, dude, he is trying to murder us. Like, I heard it with my ears. I don't know, I don't know what, I don't know how else to explain this to you. And Sam, or is like, I need you on my side, Sam. And he's like, okay of course I'm on your side. Like, I am on your side, Mr. Frodo. That's I'm why I'm like... trying to keep you from dying. <laughs> yes! And I'm just like, dang it, movie Frodo! Like, <laughs> There's no question that Sam is on your side. And, and I get it. They're trying to make him a little bit more like, I mean, like, the ring is gnawing at him and it's making him make bad decisions, I guess. But...
1: They, they could have added... Something to make it work better in the movies. If they just stress the fact that Frodo swore on the, uh, Gollum swore on the ring and Mm -hmm. they use that thread, which they just kind of eliminate from Return of the King altogether. Totally. Um, They could have had it where like Frodo really trusts in the strength of this bond that the promise will be kept regardless. If they kind of put that in, it would have made a a big difference in the believability of Frodo in those Mm -hmm. scenes. The Sam and Frodo relationship, Return of the King just breaks my heart. I, I hate all of those oh, early scenes, uh, especially the go-home, but that's not this, uh, Not this episode. No. Um,
0: but we reference it all the time, because I know it's coming, and I know they're setting it up with li- with stuff, scenes like this, and it's like Frodo would never... I just never. want everyone to know that Frodo would never. That's never Absolutely a question. No. They hold hands through the tunnel of, like, she They lair. Eh, we'll get there. But I'm
1: just saying. (laughs) I'm
0: just saying. Um, But yeah, I think that that should have been, that totally should have been like a through line that they um, explored more because Frodo does, you know, use that a lot of the time whenever Gollum is being, you know, not very forthright, you know? Mm -hmm. Frodo is like, um, you made a promise and you made a promise on a thing that you probably shouldn't have. So, and it's gonna hold you to it, and if I told you to, like, throw yourself off a cliff, you would right now. Because of your stupid promise. So, don't play me. Um, but they don't do that. They just make it out like... You know, Frodo is just trying to... Well, as if he's becoming more Gollumish because of the ring. You know, maybe not as trusting in Sam, and, you know, trying to focusing more on like saving Gollum.
1: yeah they really stress like his sympathy towards Gollum that you see in the two towers is really kind of translating into i can i can really trust him because he actually understands what i'm feeling right now sam has Mm -hmm. no clue he's just you know at this point he's just my gardener yeah Um, it's yeah i lost that kind of relationship that that we know that they have
0: yeah it's it's like um You know, Frodo is leaning more and more on Gollum and less on Sam. And Sam is just kind of, like, left in the lurch, you know. He's, like, third-wheeling it in the movie at this point. Mm -hmm. Um, But Sam has always... I don't know. Frodo is never... Doesn't ever become not Frodo until, like, the very end. You know? Um, And I think that... That demonstrates more about what the how the ring is working. Like here, like it is physically heavy, and he is not feeling great, but um, it's just it's just not manipulating like his emotions in that way. Um, but it's fine. I think I think They're the all-
1: movie really stresses that the corruption of the ring makes everybody turn to Gollum. Where it's that's not the 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 truth. Right everyone's effect is very different. Um,
0: mm-hmm.
1: Whereas, like you said, Frodo's character really is not changed towards the end, but even then, the way that he uh, fails his mission is very Frodo, where he's like, it's very logical. I did this, I came this far, but you know what? I'm not going to finish the job.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: and Bilbo is very aloof all the way to the end. He's making jokes with Gandalf all the way until the point where he drops the ring. Um, yep. Uh, I don't think the ring turns everyone to Gollum. Gollum had, you know really nasty traits even before they found the ring the way they described he he was all about kind of sneaking away and digging holes in the ground and trying to like get to the bottom of things and he was very very introverted and kind of selfish all the way from the beginning of his story
0: exactly and that's something we talked about before like the way that Frodo and Bilbo come at the ring protects them in a way that it doesn't protect Gollum or even like Boromir you know, because he, from the outset, as soon as he knew what it was, he was like, "We could use this. Like, this could help us." Despite all the things that people are saying, um, because he's just so his his main priority is Gondor and maybe his dad. You know,
2: um,
0: <laughs> pleasing his papa, and um, and that affects him. And even Galadriel is like. I couldn't take it I would ruin that too you know like I would start out trying to heal the world but this thing literally doesn't have the ability or doesn't you know it doesn't have um it's literally malice encased in a ring I don't like there's there's no way to make this thing a good thing And but it would have like a proportionate effect to whoever had it you know Mm -hmm. um so, yeah, that, that is something that they... And, you know, I get simplifying the story to a point, but I think an easy fix totally would have been just having Frodo talk more about the promise that Gollum made. Oh, yeah. Ooh. So, um, and then... So, we have that. Then, kind of, cut to Arwen, who is you know it, it kind of implied that she's making a trip towards the Grey Havens um like she's going to go take the ship to Valinor and I totally forgot that that was in this part of the movie mm-hmm. um like I knew it was there somewhere but when you know when I'm just like picking out which chapters go with which part of the movie obviously Arwen's story doesn't make it in until the appendices but all that to say this doesn't really happen in the appendices either. Um, this is just kind of building off of what they've done with between Elrond and Aragorn and Arwen previously. You mm-hmm. know where it's this whole thing of. So it, I guess he ha- did kind of convince her to go to Valinor, even though like they're already betrothed. They're in the book, you know, version there. There's he's and you know obviously in the book version. Aragorn's motivation is always to become king, but then adding Arwen to it is like a whole extra layer of like, well, I definitely have to become king so that I can marry my lady. So obviously this wouldn't happen, but, um, you know, for the movie purposes, you know, they make it out like Elrond only reforges the sword now because, like, he gives in to, like, the whole Arwen and Aragorn being a thing because now Arwen, you know, the life of the Eldar is leaving her and no ship could bear her to, you know, the Undying Land. So he's like, okay, fine, we'll reforge the sword. But I do, you know, I guess if they are going to do that with Aragorn's story, I kind of like having Arwen be the reason that the the sword is reforged. Um because it is in Rivendell. You know, we know from the movie point of view, it is in Rivendell still. It's not like he could call them and be like, hey, I actually do need my sword now. (laughs) Um, You know, it kind of becomes a series of events that leads Aragorn to decide, like, I have to do this. Not because I necessarily want to be a leader. Movie Aragorn. Not necessarily because he wants to be a leader, but because he knows it's the way to, like, save everybody's skin. You know, and keep Middle-earth from being overtaken by Sauron. Because then this leads into later when he goes into the mountains and um, asks our ghosty boys to help us out. uh, Which we'll talk more about next time. But this is kind of a precursor to that because he needs that sword in order to do that. And also... Weirdly, this is, I think, the only time we hear the riddle of Strider uh in the movie. The I don't think she they say that not all that is gold is not but the from the ashes a fire shall be woken, a light from the shadows shall spring, renewed shall be blade that was broken, the crownless again shall be king.
1: Yeah, I think that that's definitely the only time. I can't recall any other moment in the movie.
0: I know, and it's so funny because in Fellowship we hear it several times in the <laughs> book, you know. So, um, it's definitely, like, a nice nod to the books, and, like, uh, here, book fans, we finally used it! <laughs> but, and, you know, and it, Rowan reciting it is, is nice. Um, I don't know how else they would have fit it in there, honestly, by the way that they've structured everything together. Could you guys think of another reason to put that poem in there?
1: To put the poem, the crownless again shall be king. I guess at the end, but it's already reforged. It Mm -hmm. makes sense. It makes sense when they first show it in the book. It's in, I think it's in the chapter Strider,
2: Mm -hmm. Um, and he has
1: the broken sword in his hand. So it makes complete Mm -hmm. sense that that's the whole riddle. Is that this is the guy with the broken sword, and one day all this will come to fruition. Mm
0: -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then Bilbo says it again. When they're in Rivendell.
1: And he's like, I wrote that. I love yeah. that.
0: <laughs> so cute. Um, okay. And so, then it cuts to... Anna. did you have any other thoughts about Arwen and Aragorn? No. You're like, cool with that. I also, I did think it was funny that it was like, uh, you have the gift of foresight. And I'm like, so many people in Middle-earth have the gift of foresight. Really? But I feel like yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't, I, I can't think of like, I just feel like everybody gets a little bit of foresight.
1: They, feel they like mentioned that Devathor might even have it. It could just be everyone's mis, uh, misinterpreting his powers because mm-hmm. he's using Palantir in secret. Um, right. But he says that he has the ability to see the future. Baragon says it in Minas Hmm. Um, I get feel get like there is like a
0: Numenorian thing where you could probably, it a little that- bit.
1: Elrond and his brother's descendants would all kind of have the same powers
0: mm-hmm. I agree so you know and, I, and especially like in the Silmarillion I feel like everybody's having prophecies and foresight all the time um, oh, so yeah. so I, I just thought that was funny I was like yeah but like everybody in Elrond's kind of class is just doing that um, <laughs> uh, and I feel like Arwen probably does too I don't know. It's fine. Um, but I, Most likely, because
1: think- she, would, she would have it from her mother's side as well, too. Because Galadriel clearly has foresight. We've seen it happen several times.
0: Yeah. We're just like, alright. Giving Elrond a special power. But it's not so special. But Elrond is special. Sorry. He's had a traumatic life. We love Elrond. Um, <laughs> so, uh, then we cut to Pippin and Gandalf. You know, riding into Minas Tirith, and basically everything that they talk about is cut. Um, but we do learn a lot about what the seeing stones are, how many of them there were, oh, we where all they were we got a whole history lesson on
1: them. It's great. I love I that. I know. It's,
0: it's so good. And you know what? I'm probably every... Because I didn't really fully read The Silmarillion until like a year or two ago. And I've just been surviving off of, like, wikis and stuff. And I knew who Feanor was, but didn't, you know, in relation to Lord of the Rings, I never really thought about him. But when I was rereading this, Gandalf implies that, or theorizes, that Feanor may have been the one that made the the Palantiri. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, shit. That's really fancy. I thought that's really cool. Um because I mean it's like they're in all these places where you know related to the the numenorians more or less. Um and so I don't know, I was just thinking about that like I wonder how they would have ended up with them.
1: So I I I don't know for sure, but I believe when Numenor was created, it was a gift to that right. to the Numenorians because they all came to Middle Earth from Numenor when Isildur left uh, mm-hmm. right before the end. Um, the big thing being that there is an, an eighth and a master palantir on uh, in Tyrion that oh. that they can look back and see Valinor. That that's right. the whole, like main okay. papers for them. Gandalf okay. even says it in this thing. He's like, I wondered if I could master, uh, wrestle the mastery of the stone away from Sauron so I could look to Tyrion upon Tuna and see Valinor where mm-hmm. they were created.
0: Yeah, he. I, I do love that. I think that we don't, I mean, there is the uh, implication in Bag End with like Gandalf in the movies being like, no, oh, like, why would you take the, like, don't tempt me, Frodo, you know? But then there, I <laughs> And we see it again with Galadriel and the ring, but that the temptation isn't just with the ring. It's from like all of these kind of relics in a way that are these powerful um, items. And Gandalf does talk about a desire to, similar to Pippin, you know, Pippin really wanted to look at it. He couldn't stop thinking about it. But Gandalf being, Gandalf knows that he can't, but he does mention a desire in his heart to, he's like, man. Like, if I were a dum-dum, I would take it and I would try to, you know, see if I could get my, you know, use my will against Sauron to turn it into something it's not. because And that is something that I think, they don't do it in the movies. You know, in the movies he sees the White Tree and Minas Tirith and Sauron. But in the book, at the beginning, Pippin, when he first touches the Palantir, he sees, like something that feels like far away, almost like he's seeing history mm-hmm. um, before it goes back. And Sauron is like, "Who? who's this? Who's, who's gotten stuff? Or first he's like, thinks it's Saruman because that's, you know, his, that's how we call They call each other. Um, and then he's like, wait, who are you? Um, and I, you know, I think in the movie he does, Pippin does say something along the lines of like, he asked me my name, but I didn't tell him. Um, and that it, he hurt me but in the book i feel like it implies more of like pippin was trying to wrestle mentally with sauron and like not giving him information and ultimately uh sauron doesn't really ask him for information because he's just so like excited uh t- he does pippin say that he it. does
1: say that he's a hobbit and sauron's like oh yes yes you are okay i don't need any more information let me just mm-hmm. i'll send i'll send a messenger Tell Saruman to wait for me. I want, I want my prize.
0: Yeah, he's like, I'm gonna pick you up and I'm gonna take you to Baradur uh, for my purposes. <laughs> and, yeah, um, very scary. And when Gandalf tells Pippin, like, yeah, he's coming for you. He, he's, you know, afraid. He's like, well, then don't meddle in the affairs of wizards, you goof. <laughs> Uh, so, yeah, I, I just was like, wow, the idea of, like, Feanor making these, like, would they be as old as the Simworlds? You know, it's just I, I kinda... just
1: I just realized that that line that Gandalf says, mm-hmm. Mary says earlier, he says that Gildor said, don't mess in the affair of, wiz- of wizards. And mm-hmm. Gildor's going to see a Palantir at that time. I never realized the connection there.
2: The oh next time gosh. it's
1: mentioned... Is when Pippin's about to touch the Palantir. Definitely don't mess in the affair of wizards. And Gildor definitely has foresight as well.
0: Yeah. Whoa. That's wild. That's a crazy callback. It's I feel like Tolkien is always constantly referencing himself. Like, sometimes it's like literally a like a plot device or like a foreshadow. But then there are times where he'll just casually throw drop a name from like the Silmarillion. and it's just so right. funny to think about that because he knew that or he didn't ever believe it there would it would be published or that there would be anything to publish. Um, I just think that's adorable. He's like, you know what? I'm gonna drop this in here. This makes sense. Like the layers of the palm layers of sto- like history that I'm building here.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, but it also so, just feels like a little Easter egg. So I'm
1: sorry, I cut you off. So you're talking about when the Palantir would have been made. It yeah. Has, it has to have been during the Years of the Trees, because it was made in Eldemar. By, if it was by Feanor, which we assume it is, he left before the end of the Years of the Trees.
2: Mm-hmm. So
1: it would have been during that time.
0: So who, And I just wonder, I know nobody knows. At least I don't think anybody knows. But like, okay, so then who ended up with them? How did they make it? Through the years. Because it's like... Obviously, they talk about the lost seeing stones. But then we find out that not too many of them are lost. Like... The... Uh, anumanas Amun Sul... Um,
1: Those two are gone. Somebody,
0: yeah, but... Those two are in the, the sea. Ha- right, doesn't the Grey... Grey Haven still has one.
1: The Tower Hills, Edmund Braid. Yeah. Where, that's where Gildor and the elves are going to. That's the right. one that can see... It's the furthest west. It's the one that sees... Uh, the one in Valinor.
0: So that one's still chilling. The one Mm -hmm. in Orthanc is obviously here. Um, Denethor's got one. And then Sauron has the one from Minas Ithil, aka Minas Mm -hmm. Morgul. Yep.
1: And the Master Stone from Osgiliath is in the Anduin River. Probably washed out to sea.
0: Right. So I'm like, honestly, we have like over half. I feel like that's (laughs) pretty good. I Obviously, nobody knew for sure if Sauron had one. And I obviously, Sauron kept his secret. Denethor keeps his secret. So they probably leaned into the idea of them being lost. But I'm just like, actually... We have a good chunk accounted for here. Um, which we don't find out until all of this stuff unfolds. Um, but uh, it is interesting because... Denethor references them later when they first meet him. So, I guess we should probably get over to Denethor. So, um, Anna, this is our first time in the movies meeting him. What is your first impression of Denethor? He's a dick. Mm. (laughs)
2: That's that's right. (laughs) (laughs) Class is
0: over. You got the answer. (laughs) Any... Any other thoughts? Just him as a dad or a leader?
2: Um, I mean, I guess he's technically leading, not not a good dad. Uh, he obviously favors Boromir over Faramir, and yeah. that causes a little bit of strife for those characters. Uh, it's, he's probably really insecure about, you know... Because he's not the true person that should be leading, right? Mm-hmm. So that causes him to just be fearful and bad.
0: Yeah, it's also interesting in this part of the book they mention that like Denethor clearly uh, like Pippin that thinks that Denethor looks more like a wizard than Gandalf does, mm-hmm. and it's also like clear that the blood of Numenor is in him, and it also calls out like in Faramir who we've met but. Pippin hasn't, but not Boromir. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, damn. Sorry, You girl. wouldn't
1: expect that at all. It's Yeah. You'd it expect Boromir just... to be like the most Numenorean out of all of them.
0: Right. I mean, he's older, right? Like,
1: mm-hmm.
0: how would it skip him? And, and, and it, then it calls into, you know, obviously, like, there's no, I mean, there's science, but there's not science in Middle Earth. Um, uh, I'm just thinking of so far as, like, To be Numenorean... Like, of course there is a lineage thing. Of course. But then I think there is almost like a personal... Ability to be more or less Numenorean. Like, say you have the lineage, but that doesn't necessarily mean... That you are, um, like, upholding that legacy. You know, the same way that... Like, Aragorn does. Or Faramir does. You know, people that... Um, clearly value knowledge and learning as well as, like, physical abilities. You know, they're kind of able to do it all, whereas, you know, Boromir wasn't really interested in, like, being a wizard's pupil or whatever. Um, It's just interesting, because, you know, Boromir, we've talked about that, like, he's not a bad guy, but he's clearly different from his brother. Mm Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. I don't know if you have any thoughts on that as far as, like, what does it mean at this point to be a Numenorian?
1: So, to it, like you like said, science really is not match up because they mention that um, Prince Imrahil is very much, like, a high man like of Numenorean descent. They say mm-hmm. it in this chapter. And Imrahil's sister is Boromir's mother and Firemear's mm. mother. Uh, Fenduilas.
2: Mm-hmm. So,
1: it has nothing to do with with that i think you made a good point where it's like it's like can you carry like a tree is it something that you rise to as opposed to something being born with mm-hmm. um they say that boromir is very valiant and so is faramir but he's also very a-, a learned man he's a master of lore and he reads scrolls just like denethor did denethor was very valiant in his youth carried the horn of gondor but he's also a master of scrolls and lore he tells gandalf in shadow of the past and fellowship that like i read all of these you're not going to find anything i don't know in here so mm-hmm. maybe it's something like that where it's like if you value strength over wisdom that's that's kind of where like the Numenorian sense comes from whereas like yeah. the the numenoreans come from strong men of history so it's like if you lose the history do you lose their essence maybe something like that
0: could be could be, I mean, it kind of feels like it, you know, um, because otherwise Boromir should be just as Stumanorian as his brother. I don't know, something to think about. Um, so we have Gandalf and Denethor kind of showing down in this chapter of Minas Tirith. Um, in the movie, you know, it's significantly reduced. Um, at, which makes me sad because we probably get, like, the best sassy Gandalf lines from this part. Oh, yeah. Um, it like, really, and it's, like, Pippin is watching them and he's talking about, he could see, like, a line between them, almost, like, smoldering. Like, they are literally so, they're both so strong and they both have a lot of abilities. You know, they're both, um very smart and wise and all of that, but it's just like seeing them go toe-to-toe uh, that, in, you know, Pippin is starting to realize kind of what Mary was saying earlier, like about what it is that makes Gandalf different. Because he thought Denethor looked older, but you could tell that Gandalf has more... Je ne sais quoi, you know? Like, he's mm-hmm. more uh, majestic in a way. Um, and so Denethor, he... He's kind, he's pretty rude to Pippin, but Pippin being, I think that there's a pretty common thing where whenever you say something rude to one of our dear dear hobbits, they are like, they like puff themselves up <laughs> yeah. and are like, "Excuse me." And so that is when you know Pippin kind of like swears himself to to Denethor, and it, it hasn't happened in the movie yet, which I was like, "Dang, they moved that," so they move this. Uh, later, to when Faramir is going off on his like suicide mission, and um, you know, so he gets Pippin to tell him all the things, but not all the things. Pippin is not he doesn't mess up too bad. He he uh, you know tells him more or less about because he wants to hear about Boromir's death, and there is a part at the end, towards the end of their conversation, where Denethor's like. Pride would be folly that disdained help and counsel at need, like referring to Gandalf coming to help, but you deal out such gifts according to your own designs. Yet the Lord of Gondor is not to be made the fool of other men's purposes, however worthy, and to him there is no purpose higher in the world as it now stands than the good of Gondor. And the rule of, rule of Gondor, my lord, is mine and no other man's, unless the king should come again. And Gandalf is like, oh, unless the king should come again. <laughs> Well, my lord steward, it is your task to keep some kingdom still against that event, which few now look to see. In that task you shall have all the aid that you are pleased to ask for. But I will say this, the rule of no realm is mine, neither of Gondor nor any other, great or small. But all worthy things that are in peril as the world now stands, those are my care. And for my part, I shall now wholly fail of my task, though Gondor should perish. Wait, wait. He says, "And for my part, I shall not wholly fail of my task, though Gondor should perish. If anything passes through that's this night that can still grow fair or bear fruit and flower again in days to come, for I also am a steward." Did you not know? <laughs> a hair whip, <laughs> a hair flip at the oh. end of it, the- and that's the end of the conversation. He leaves at that point, like he's like, Ugh! you know, so like, Ugh, idiot. Um, but in the movie they have Denethor like know about Aragorn. Like he knows that who Aragorn is and he's like, Oh, I would not have some ranger from the north, like the rule of Gondor is mine, and Gandalf is just like, ah, you're dumb. Um like and he says the he would use his grief as a cloak, but he says that to Denethor's face in the in the book, which I thought was funny. But I'm like, dang it They keep taking so many Excellent lines away from Ian McKellen. And I, I live for, for I also am a steward. Did you not know? Hair flip. (laughs) Oh man.
1: It's so good. He would have been such a great sassy Gandalf. Like, and we get that in the behind the scenes stuff. He's very sassy in all of the behind the scenes stuff. It would have been perfect. All of the awesome lines that you've talked about on your podcast and including this one, he would have delivered to perfection. It you would have been amazing. He have. Mm-hmm. He's
0: so good at his job! If this podcast ever blows up, all that I hope that comes of it, I don't need like a million followers and I don't need like a bunch of sponsorships. All that I want is for the rest of the cast, the surviving cast of Lord of the Rings, just make an audiobook. Just read it. Read it to me. Um. (laughs) Please. (laughs) Um, cause it would be so good. And really, um, yeah, it's just, uh, I don't know. I don't know how you obviously couldn't probably fit all of this into that scene. It's pretty quick. But maybe, maybe not have Denathor know who Aragorn is. Um, not really sure how everybody keeps figuring out who Aragorn is in the movie. because uh, he doesn't ever he, he doesn't even want to be king at this point, as far as we know in the movie. How how do they know who he is?
1: Um, well they do mention in the chapter that like Denethor is able to figure out that there is some guy
2: mm-hmm. in the
1: fellowship. There's somebody led led the fellowship after Moria, and it right. wasn't Boromir. Right. So there's there's definitely some, and he has a famous sword. So he's able to perceive it from that. I guess they just like, oh, it's a little nod to that. Denethor just read their minds then and there during the conversation, as opposed to the hour-long conversation where he's just probing Pippin the entire time mm-hmm. Like the end in the book.
0: Yeah, that's true. I just don't know how movie Denethor seems to know anything about Aragorn. Magic. Yeah, apparently he's using the, I don't, because they also make it seem like Saruman knows who, he, like, everybody seems to know who Aragorn is, and it's like, I thought you grew up in secret. Guess they, not. They,
1: they do seem to make like this, they, there's this line in it where, when Denethor says Palantir, like, Pippin feels a glance come off of his eye to him.
2: Is mm. it him like...
1: Is he saying like, "Oh, I know about palantirs because I have one," or is it, "I have, have, I've seen Pippin because when he touched it, I was able to see it"? So maybe mm. it really is getting way more information than we even suspect from the book.
0: Mm. Yeah, that's an interesting thought. Like, was I would have loved to, obviously, we can't love to ask Tolkien like the mechanics of how the palantiri work, because it's like could so if. Sauron, this is my plan, my mic is my plan too now, and you know, he's just like, okay, I'm trying to be like, Sauron, why aren't you answering my calls? And then Pippin picks it up, and at that point, if Denethor also is like, "Mm, I'm bored, I'm gonna see what's going on with this thing, does he just like, see that conversation happen? Does he get a glimpse of it, maybe?
1: So, we know that Aragorn can bend it to his will. He's the most yeah. worthy to wield the Palantir. So technically, you'd assume it's probably Denethor next that has that mm-hmm. kind of authority. Because he's of Numenorean descent. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's very powerful. Like like Pippin says, you can tell he's, uh, he's very wise and very strong.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, maybe a few other characters could possibly do it. Gandalf probably could in the same way that Sauron can. where
2: yeah. He's clearly
1: strong enough to use it, but just not at his will.
0: Mm-hmm. And I also think it's significant that Gandalf get like after he realizes that Pippin is a monster and cannot be stopped. Yeah, like he's like, "Okay, Aragorn, you take this, the Seeing Stone." Um, and he kind of like he like does a little bow and like bequeaths it to Aragorn. And Aragorn's like, "All right, I'll I'll take this." Um, and he's like, well, be careful, like don't don't really you know don't use it until it's time." And he's like don't worry, I won't. Um, and they do, they will give a nod to that moment in the movie at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, but, and we'll see that later too when Aragorn like actually decides to use it. Um, but I thought that was cool that it was like, it's kind of hit, you know, they kind of make a note about like, it kind of belongs to you, Aragorn, if you go through like who owned it before uh like it, like it being related to will then do um so it's like kind of your thing you can hold it and so he does um and so we'll see that later um it's always weird to me that it I guess we'll see but I know that in the movie scene it like breaks into a billion pieces or is that just his like he drops it
1: I think I think oh. it's the Evan star the, the, Evan star, star the necklace. Breaks and that's yeah. when it shatters on the floor. Because okay. he shows in the Palantir, I think he sees Arwen, like, dying.
0: Oh, yeah. I couldn't remember I if, like, st- everything just broke in that scene. Um, but, but we'll, we can talk about more when we get there. So, the, really, the final thing is, um, well, okay, there's two last notes that I had. So, when Pippin is swearing to serve Denethor, um, and in the movie, there's... Happens later, but he does like like the full swearing happens later. But Pippin does like offer himself up. Um, Anna, did you have any thoughts about what Gandalf what Gandalf's reaction to that in the movie?
2: Well, it kind of goes back to like how they are underestimating the Hobbits the entire time. Um, they they're like silly Pippin. He made the mistake uh, when they're in the caves and he knocks Mm -hmm. the dead body you know um and they do this over and over and over to him so it's just it's like one again one of those instances where they're like oh my god Pippin why are you talking why are you volunteering yourself for the service (laughs) of (laughs) this dude that you just met five seconds ago because you feel bad about Boromir I don't know
0: Mm -hmm. yeah Pippin like Gandalf is like like, he bows, and then Gandalf is like, oh, get up, you know? <laughs> but what I love is that, I, I mean, the movies love Gandalf picking on Pippin. They love it, and then will never stop. But there, are, we've talked about a few times where Gandalf will back up what Pippin does, but in the book, he doesn't really say anything, and he's like, okay, now offer him your sword if you, if you mean it that's all he says like if you're if you're serious about this you you have to do this now and um but in the book afterwards you know Pippin is like are you mad and he's like no he's like you you did a good job you know you spoke well he, and he's like, I do not know what put it in your head or your heart to do that, but it was well done. I did not hinder it, for generous deeds should not be checked by cold counsel. And mentions that Denethor's heart was, he could tell that Denethor was like, seriously touched by uh, Pippin's offer. So, you know, I, I just love that, that it's like, there's so many times where Pippin, he literally, I mean, is the like the definition of follow your heart. You know, like, really impulsive decisions, like, even the whole thing with the brooch, like, leaving it, uh, when they're with the urukai, and, you know, pretending to be Gollum, and there's things that he does that are, you know, kind of brave, but it's also just, like, he just feels compelled to do these things, um, but he probably couldn't even tell you why, and, uh... I really love that that Gandalf is like, you know what? I don't know what how that came to your brain, but it, it really worked out because now you'll be able, when you're not like on duty, you'll have basically leave to explore the whole city, which later turns out to be uh, really helpful for mm-hmm. Pippin. So um, I thought that was cute, and then finally we also meet Faragond. Um, and is that how we say it? Is that how we say his name? That's
1: how I've always said it. Baragond. Okay.
0: And I can't remember his son's name because I didn't Burgil. write it down. Burgil, yeah. So we meet Baragon, who's one of, the, an, you know, another um, member of the military. <laughs> and uh, he kind of teaches uh, Pippin the passwords and shows him around a little bit. They talk a lot. Um, and he. He's like, I don't think you're going to be working with me specifically, but, like, I don't have duty, so I'm here to hang out. And then he sends Pippin to meet his son later, um, which I thought was a really cool interaction. It was, like, the happiest Pippin had been since he left Mary, which I think is hilarious because he's hanging out with a (laughs) (laughs) 10-year-old. and Who's a foot
1: foot taller than him.
0: Yeah, and he's, like, 29. It's just so funny. Um, But they have a real good time, and, like, I understand cutting these characters, like... There, there's no time, really, for this, but this was when I was reading that part I was like, okay, this is TV show material, like, letting Pippin go off and while well, Gandalf is dealing with bigger shit. And I also love that Shadowfax like, Gandalf is very concerned about Shadowfax during this time. He's like Pippin, be sure to go check on him, make sure that he's got what he needs and Shadowfax is like just as sassy as Gandalf. Like, he's basically like ready for a race, even though he's just like ran from Isengard to Minas Tirith, which is hundreds of miles. And Pippin's like, well, I hope you've had a good rest. And he like, later he brings him treats after dinner. (laughs) And I'm just like, this is so cute. (laughs) And, you know, Shadowfax is a character in the movies and he's a beautiful horse, but I love that he like stomps his feet and he's just like, oh, I'm so bored. Like, I need to be out doing things and I'm just like that is the perfect horse for Gandalf. Cuz he he does his own thing and helps Gandalf out when he wants. Um and you know, I I mean there's really no way to put that in the movie. I just thought it was adorable that Pippin was still giving treats to the pony. Um <laughs> and he was it, and it says that shadow fact is like appreciative of the snacks even though his manger was full. Mm -hmm. Uh, and I'm like who doesn't love a good treat who doesn't love a good treat Uh, (laughs) Shadowfax is all of us Um, (laughs) um, but the things there are a couple of things that do survive from Baragon that they give to Gandalf in the movies Um, the line so um, you know Pippin is talking about how you know, they rush to get there, and then everything is kind of, like, slowed down now that they're actually in the city. And Baragon said, it is but the deep breath before the plunge. And it switches to Gandalf, and it becomes, it's the deep breath before the plunge. Like, when Pippin's talking about how quiet everything is. Um, and also the line, here will the hammer stroke fall hardest, when Baragon is talking about how much Sauron hates Gondor. He's like, well, we're lucky you know, joking, um, like Sauron hates our guts. So here will the hammer stroke fall hardest. Uh, and it becomes here the hammer stroke will be, fall the hardest when Gandalf is kind of explaining what's going on to Pippin. And I do like that they take that opportunity between Gandalf and Pippin to like explain a little bit more about um, the history of the White Tree. Not a lot, but, you know, kind of give you a little bit more context for what we're seeing now. Um, but then, this line, "the here the hammer stroke will fall the hardest," is combined with this will be the end of Gondor as we know it. And I was, and I, when he said that in the movie, I was like, I've heard this before. I read this before. Where was this? That was taken from when Gandalf um, rides up into enter, first enters like the realm of Gondor or like the outskirts. Um, he's speaking with the men at the gate of Minas Tirith. And he says, "Whatever betide, you have come to the end of Gondor that you have known. Let me pass." He's like, "Let me in. I got shit to do." And so they're like, "Okay, Myth that's cool." Um, so so that's like the men of uh, Minas Tirith at the gate there, and they're just like, "Yep, go on in." Um, but I thought that that was um some nice nods to some actual dialogue that they got to keep, um even though it you know it wasn't. It's kind of like in different places and by different people, mm-hmm. uh, but I like it when they're they're able to do that kind of stuff. So some of those lines aren't actually Gandalf's, but I could see they do feel right coming from Gandalf in that situation.
1: Yeah, it it also gives Gandalf that kind of chance to comfort Pippin a little bit, which mm-hmm. which he kind of does after the whole uh, s- swearing an oath of fealty to Denethor, where he's like, "Everything's fine, you did great,"
2: mm-hmm. um,
1: which is and it's repurposed very well because I love those Baragon lines, but I liked in the book when Baragon says, those, it's Pippin comforting him being like, mm-hmm. well, well, we can still fight. We can still stand and fight. And Baragon's like, yes, you know what? You're right.
2: Mm-hmm. We'll, we'll
1: make it through this. And it's right, another there's... thing that they do take from Pippin. He's he's so much more than just the, the comedic relief and the and Gandalf's whipping boy.
0: Yeah, exactly. I Pippin is... They're, they're, all the hobbits are really great characters, you know, and I love that we do get to see so much more from their perspective in the books, you know, because typically when Tolkien is writing, there's, a, there's one point where we see from Aragorn and it's perspective for a little bit. But if a hobbit is around, that is most likely who you're going to be viewing the scene from, like whose perspective you'll be viewing mm-hmm. the scene from. So we get to see a lot more about like what Pippin is thinking. Um, And we're going to see more and more about what Mary is thinking now that he's separated from Pippin. Um, And it it pretty much, sometimes we have Frodo's perspective, but oftentimes it's between it's just Frodo and Sam, it's just Sam. Um, It's usually the person who has the least amount of knowledge about the situation Mm -hmm. going on, um, which I think is uh, a really cool use of you know, perspective in, in this instance because there is so much going on and then to put it in terms of just like what a, the you know the, the hobbits are like us they're like the stand-in for the audience in a lot of ways um so I like the the use of that and seeing and, and we and you know getting to learn more about who Mary and Pippin and Sam and Berto are um in the books through that you know process so are there any other thoughts that we had about this section of movie or book?
1: So there's one part that we skipped over. Um, uh, on their way to Minas Tirith from, mm-hmm. um, from, I think, I believe it's Edoras. They don't mention it by name, but they describe a, a small town that kind of screams Edoras.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, they see the the beacons of Gondor being lit.
2: Oh
0: yeah, I love that
1: part. Um, and something when I was when I was a kid and watch even watching it now, it's like you see the scenes in *The Return of the King* where mm-hmm. it's getting lit. and You're like, who is up there on this mountaintop? And uh, and they they actually describe it in the book. Gandalf says that there's posts that all of these things that are kept, so they light it and then they'll send out riders. They see riders pass uh, pass them as they're going along their way. And also, why they were lit is different in the book. Mm-hmm. Um, in the book, Pippin Pippin lights it. Um, Gandalf wants them to light it, so Rohan will come. But they actually light it to send word to Rohan and South because they know that the Corsairs of Umbar are coming. And uh, it's a nice little foreshadowing to a lot of what's going to happen in the next few chapters. Uh, There's there's way more at stake than just, let's make sure Theoden comes. Theoden's already going to come, regardless of whether or not the beacons were lit. Um,
0: Right. Yeah, and we see also in this chapter when... Pippin is with um, Urgil uh, that a bunch of men from south of Gondor, including Prince Imrahil. And um, oh, what's his name? They call him the fat, which I was like. Furlong. Ooh. Yes. Furlong. <laughs> the fat.
1: <laughs> the Lassanarch.
0: Yes. And he, it, so he shows up and it's a, and, you know, Tolkien counts it up and it's less than 3,000, but and people are like, oh, you know, it's kind of like the less than we would have hoped kind of moment. But, mm-hmm. you know, it's a game. It's not no people. So we're happy or, you know, it's better than nothing. So we'll take it. Um, and, you know, so so these are some more characters that will particularly Emma Hill, that we'll see later on in the book. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, there's um, I guess there is kind of a thing in. The movies where it kind of restricts whole countries to just a town, you yeah. know. I mean, Rohan is lucky they get Helm's Deep and they get Edoras, but Gondor is really represented by Minas Tirith. But there is this whole, you know, area to the south which is about to be attacked first, and so everybody's kind of lamenting, like, "Dang, we could have had more help here if." You know they didn't have a problem, but at least now they're they are a little bit relieved that they hadn't dealt with the Saruman because then they would have been trapped in a net. Um, I think is how they put it. Um, but th- there's also a moment where they talk about, I think in the movie they pretty much everywhere we go, the women and children just are kind of like trapped there with our heroes. Mm-hmm. Um, which I get there's just not really time to explain like well we sent them away, uh, but. Pippin does notice that like the road is super busy and they're sending like all these wagons of people and it's like the elderly, the children, the women to the South so that they're kind of out of the line of fire because they know that Sauron a coming and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, they don't want to be under siege and have everybody, you know, obviously, and it's a supply issue, you know, like if you're, if you're, expecting to be under siege, you will not be able to feed everybody for as long as you could if you had less people. So, um, you know, if this were, like, I feel like you see it in some movies and, like, war things where it's, like, then you have people attacking the civilians. I'm kind of surprised that Sauron didn't just, like, have a Nazgul bomb the road <laughs> for these people. Uh, but we're glad he didn't. He isn't, mm-hmm. it's almost like he's not that bad. He's not he's not like human level bad. <laughs> the things that we do are to ourselves are worse.
1: He needs people that he can control when he's the dark lord of the entire world. He still True. wants minions and slaves. True.
0: Yeah, he's like I'll take them. I'll take the old and the ladies and the kids. Um yeah. So it so they go south but you know, later we'll learn kind of more about what's going on there. Even though we, it is mentioned here, like there is already news that something's about to go down that way too. So, um, and there is a point where, oh, was it? Is it Baragon that talks about how? Uh, there's a line that somebody says about how basically like everywhere is under attack. Like there's Merkwood is mentioned.
1: It's Baragon, um, yeah. That's right. Yeah. Right before he says the that he's gonna hit us the hardest. Mm-hmm. He said, yeah, he's talking about uh, the Sea of Rune and Mirkwood and beyond are getting attacked as well. It's mm-hmm. not just there.
0: Yeah. So, you know, I think that, that that's another thing that happens in, like, people just watch the movies and they'll be like, well, where the heck is all the other people like, that we met in The Hobbit? And it's like, well, they're all dealing with stuff too, you know? Like, oh, yeah. later we'll find out all the problems going on with, like, Dale and at Erebor with Gimli's Family, you know Merkwood mm-hmm. obviously. Um, now I mean it's like stuff with Elrond. It's like he—that's not a place of war. That's like a refuge, you know. There, there's no, there's no army of elves that you really could send at this point. Um, so, but movies tell us different a little bit um, with Helm's Deep. But apparently, all those elves die. <laughs> <laughs> um, hashtag sad. Um, so I guess, so that puts us at, um, and, and it was kind of interesting stopping the movie at this point, because when Gandalf is talking to Pippin, it starts to intercut with Gandalf and Pippin and Frodo, Sam and Gollum approaching mm-hmm. Ungol, And I was like, nope, 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 we're not to that chapter yet. So I just had to stop it and I couldn't let them finish their conversation. But I know that that in the beginning of this next part of the movie, uh, Gandalf is going to be explaining the Witch King a little bit. So maybe we can go into who the Witch King is a little bit more next time.
1: Very so, exciting.
0: Yeah, Witch King stuff is good stuff. I still fully believe that he he deserves a spinoff series. Like well, I feel I'm like I'm su- there- sure he'll
1: get one too. Absolutely.
0: I feel like there are so many tendencies nowadays where, like, a lot of studios just won't let their bad guys just be bad guys. But I just want one where the Witch King is just being a bad guy.
2: Oh, yeah. You know? Like, I don't need to know. epic.
1: He gets to fight some serious characters from the the Legendarium
2: that Mm -hmm. cannot
1: beat him. And you just see how powerful this, this guy is.
0: I know. And he's not even the big bad. Mm hmm. He's just number one lieutenant or something. Um, So it's just like, you know, I think in Lord of the Rings, a lot of it. I mean, we are going to see some legit war happen soon. But there are a lot of things where everything is kind of uh, mm, scary, but not necessarily because you're seeing them be scary. If you know what I mean. Like they are, but it's like mostly like everyone just knows that they're the worst, and also the best at being the worst. Mm. Mm. So, that, so they know to be afraid before they are maybe necessarily given a reason to be afraid, which is kind of like you know when, like when the hobbits first see the black riders, like they they start to feel the power of the ring as so far as like the fear that they can induce, but they haven't necessarily done anything you know in the shire like they didn't like murder anybody i mean they scare some people act like they're going to run some people over with their horses but you know it's not like they like witness something but they just know that like "Mm, that's a bad dude Mm -hmm. but i I think it would be interesting yeah I, i think i just insofar as like making a show about them i think it would be interesting to just see them like go for it like do the room do the thing that you've been rumored to do, you know, like being the worst. Um, that's kind of why I'm excited to get to the Aowen
1: parts as well,
0: because when Witch King enters the fray, I
1: think it's pretty cool. Mm. It's the the whole the story that got me into this.
0: Yes, it's
1: so incredible it it gets me every single time.
0: That's so cool. So when you know your friend was just like, "Hey, have you heard about Aowen?" did they just like tell you the story like from memory and then were like you should read these books or were they like hey just read this chapter wow. oh,
1: it was it was like story time like when you think of like word of mouth tales of these fantastic worlds and fairy mm. stories that's how we presented it to me it's like middle of the night telling me these stories with like super high enthusiasm
2: just That's how awesome.
1: like, and he really accentuated how powerful the Witch King was, and and that there was no hope in this, and like the whole speech. Oh my god!
0: Oh, uh, so truly, truly. Oh, uh, can't wait. Yeah, I think that that is one thing that um, I feel like Tolkien would really approve of, insofar as the sharing, the way you know, going about sharing the stories in these way, just being so excited about it and sharing that enthusiasm and um kind of continuing that oral tradition that so many of probably his favorite fairy stories were based in and then somebody finally came along and wrote it down right but Mm -hmm. the thing about being a mythology like to be a true mythology it's not it's like a story that everybody knows but that doesn't necessarily mean that it's always like told the same way or is always interpreted the same way. Um, I think that's when you get, you know, like when you think about Greek mythology or whatever, there's so many different stories just using the same characters to, you know, kind of mm-hmm. tell these morality tales or just tell these like crazy stories that happen or that happened, you know? And um, I think, and that's why I love that. Some of the things in Lord of the Rings is like unexplained, like There are just some things that we're never going to know because he just didn't go there, and I think that that's fine because I think you're allowed to fill in the gaps. I think of all the fandoms, I think headcanon should be the most encouraged with something like Tolkien. Like, just adding to it in your own way. You know?
1: Mm-hmm. It, we started playing the Dungeons & Dragons set in the first age of Middle-earth, and... Um and the fact that there's so much history to call upon and there's so much story and depth, it makes it so easy to like create headcanons and kind of fan fictions. And, and it's, it's, it's so grounded and there's so much depth that it leaves so much room. Like he wrote in his letter, the very famous one, other hands and minds to sculpt." Yeah.
2: uh,
1: There's, it's, there's such a great foundation that if, um, You know, if even if just Lord of the Rings was the last book that came out, he has so many hidden details in the story that we could have been, we could have written our own Silmarillion with, like, oh, this is what he meant here. You know, this is Mm -hmm. what, who this is who Feanor is. We get little snippets in the book about the Silmarils and the appendices and stuff, but we could create stories out of how much he leaves, how much wiggle room he leaves for the reader.
0: Yeah, and I think that's something that I love, you know, that I've, like, grown in appreciation it's uh, regarding like the poems and songs that are used because they add this whole other layer and often they're referencing events that are never really told in full in Lord of the Rings they're referencing like Silmarillion stuff you know and that he all had in his brain but he was like okay this makes sense to use here you know um, to add some depth to the story but they're for, for decades, right, there, there was no Silmarillion to go be like, okay, what the heck are they talking about? So I just love the idea of, like, somebody reading that and being and just, like, the wonder that that can instill because it doesn't give you all the answers, but it adds a layer of depth at the same time.
1: mm mm-hmm. Tell me the necessity of uh, the Nimrodell song that Legolas sings as they're entering Lothlorien for the story itself. It has no relevance in the entire story, um, but what does it leave you with? It leaves you with this that this is this. There's so much history here mm-hmm. that even the characters are like, well, I wonder what this is even about. It's beautiful, but I have no clue.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and again with like having the hobbits be kind of like the stand-in for the reader, you know, that and also the fact that like hobbits, we know they they like a certain, they like lore to an extent, right? Like usually it has to have something to do with like their family or mm-hmm. pipeweed or ale, you know, something that they have like a tangible reference to. So for them to like be in the room when Legolas or anybody just kind of like bursts into song because they're kind of, because they're more learned in like the history of the world and they're just kind of moved by being in this historic places. Um, I think that that feeling of like awe and wonder that that should instill in the Hobbits should also probably be instilled in the reader a little bit. as far as like, wow, like there's, there's the story that we have, but then there is so much else going on that we're not necessarily going to get to explore in these books, but it's um, fun for us to think about. And I think that that's one of the things we're like, like, for my personal Tolkien journey, you know, I literally was able to survive off of, you know, because I, I clearly wasn't ready for the Silmarillion for a long time, because I kept picking it up, and I even, like, picked the ch- up the Children of Huron, and then I was like, shit, I don't know who these people are. And with the Silmarillion, <laughs> it was just I am a narrative girl, and it wasn't really doing that, you know? It's very textbooky, y And um, so, but just like that sense of awe and like history just within these books. And then, you know, with the addition of the appendices, I was kind of able to just like survive off of that. If you want to put it like that, um, just being able to absorb and like rethink about it until like I was older and, you know, had some time to be like, you know what? I want to get into the, to the bottom of this a little bit more. I want to know more about that history or that story and, why is it significant at this point for that character you know um, not necessary and you certainly don't have to want that or there's no like fan requirement to have to dig into it but I just love that it's there you know there's always just like whenever you're ready for it there's some more that you could dive into or think about or Mm -hmm. explore
1: and, and for me, the Silmarillion is my favorite book for that exact reason. I wanted to know what all of these references were.
2: Mm-hmm. And I became
1: obsessed with that book. I've read that more than any other Tolkien book. Um, and I'm still not satisfied. That's why I'm so excited about the Rings of Power, is that they're mm-hmm. going to tell us stories that we've never heard before. I want to yeah. know about the dwarves of the Second Age, because we don't get much other than, like, the doors of Moria and the building of the, the, uh, the Durin with Calabrimbor and Narvi
0: right everything has been told in relation to how it is with elves you know like the Silmarillion is very elf centric like the dwarves are around um but they're not like there's very much like a vibe of like elf prejudice in in that book you know with the the (laughs) dwarves are concerned so I think that that will be super interesting I think that there's um a lot of things that they can do with that show that could be really exciting or just, um, interesting to think about, you know, and so far as, like, filling in the gaps, um, and, like, helping us get from A to B in, in a sense, um, so I'm excited, I think that will be fun, um, it'll be interesting as far as, like, digesting that show in a different way right? Because the I think that that's one thing that, like, trips people up is that, like, this not easy to adapt. Tolkien thought it would be impossible, right? Mm -hmm. But there's a clear narrative. It may not be super linear and there's a lot going on, but there is a clear narrative, you know? And with um, something like the Rings of Power, we're dealing with outlines and sketches of things that happened. And we're dealing with a more, you know, t- textbooky, like, dry kind of descriptions of things. And um, so I think it'll be cool to see them add color to it and, and what ways that they take it. Because, you know, there are things that I agree and disagree with on probably, like, every tolkien adaptation and i'm sure that this one will be no different um it's but it seems like all signs point to it's gonna be a good time in some way shape or form
1: Wait, yeah. i'm so excited for this i am regardless of how much like lore breaking stuff there is that people keep saying oh it's ruining the story what it's, like you said, there's nothing really to pull from. I can't mention. I can't name you three lines of dialogue from the Second Age. Um, no, other than like the Rings poem, you know mm-hmm. that happened in the Second Age, technically. Um,
2: okay.
1: So it, I'm so excited for this, regardless of of what they do. It's it's going to be back in Middle Earth, and we're going to see these characters that we love from the movies, Lord of the Rings. We're going to see Galadriel and Elrond. We're going to actually see more of a Sealdor and Elendil, and Sauron.
2: Oh, I, mean, come I on. am.
1: Come on.
0: I hope that Sauron is the coolest. I want to love him and hate him at the same time. You know, I feel like he is the character that I really want a lot from, as far as like uh, emotional impact. You know, like I want it to hurt when he betrays Kilbermore. <laughs> like, uh, you know, I want. Um, it to be like this whole. I want them to surprise me a little bit because I know that they haven't said shit about who Sauron is or how he's gonna. They haven't said anything about Anatar. Like I don't, mm-hmm. I don't know how they're gonna do it. I think I, but I hope I'm surprised. I hope it's a really fun ride. You know, um, I'm interested to see how they use Galadriel in a more, um, you know, like physical way you know she's gonna be like a, it's clearly she's gonna be more of like a main character in the story she's gonna be like a mover and shaker of things you know uh, how, why else would they be like playing her up so much in the promos and like showing her on this like ice hit like cliff thing you know um i'm i'm really excited to see more of her i mean it's really gonna be cool to see what they do with the dwarves because there is like, in the Silmarillion, we know that they're they're so good at everything they do, like, craft-wise. I think that there's so much they can explore as far as, like, how beautiful they can make khazad Um, You know, oh, there's yeah. only, like, a little, like, isn't this nice And you know, the Fellowship where Gandalf risks a little light and it's still in the dark. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I want to kind of capture that moment of, like, wow, this place was something, and then show us what that something was, you know? Um, the
1: greatest of all the Dwarven kingdoms, which is saying a lot, and we're going to see it in its full glory. So, think about the First Age is that the all, the Dwarves are all separated. Mm-hmm. All the Dwarves that survived the First Age go to Casa of Doom and make it even better. All these great smiths and craftsmen we've heard of from the Silmarillion
2: mm-hmm.
1: that survived went there, and their lineage went on, and even increase the greatness of the city. It's it's I'm I'm so happy that they really haven't shown much of the cities yet.
2: Mm -hmm. Because
1: I want to be blown away like when they when you finally get into Minas Tirith after seeing like little snips in the first and second movie. When you're finally in it just completely floors you. I'm excited for that with all of Numenor and Khazadum and Lindon and Aregion and Austin Ethel. And even totally. these, like, made-up places they're doing, where it's, like, far away, Tir Harad, or whatever it's called, I, I want to see Middle-earth.
0: Yeah, I, I really want them to go off of that, too, because there's so many nods to, like, how amazing the craftsmanship of, like, even the Numenorians, like, how was Orthanc built? How was the Argonaut built? You know, like, these things that have stood the test of time. Like, even the Morannon, right? Like, the Black Gate. It's technically, Mm -hmm. you know, the Numenorian thing, you know, the city of Minas Ithil, which is now Minas Morgul. Um, Just these things that have, because we, because the Middle Earth we know is on its kind of last leg before our fellowship shakes it up, you know? Like, things aren't what they once were, and so this is going to be like, this is the were we were referring to um, that whole time.
1: all of those ruins that you see in the Lord of the Rings trilogy, they're not ruins in the second age. They might not even be built yet by the time the story starts. It's going to be very exciting to see.
0: Yeah. I want to, I want them to explore that. Like how, how people doing things different, you know? Um, What was just, what was it like? You know, I think that that was one thing that I always liked in uh, Harry Potter, for example, when I didn't care, like, I mean, obviously, I was in it for Harry's journey, but the things that I really liked was when they were just, like, in class, you know, and, like, the funny things that they would learn, or just, like, the the lived-in nature of things. So I hope that, that that's kind of the vibe, you know, of, like, getting to know these people in the first season, getting to see them, you know, kind of really come into their own before we head into, like, the whole storyline of like Sauron screwing things up.
1: (laughs) The the fact that they announced that Sauron really isn't going to be in the first season really makes it positive that it's going to be a lived-in story. We're getting a full season of like, welcome. Get ready Mm -hmm. because we have four more seasons planned and it's going to be freaking epic. Remember that 10-minute prologue at the beginning of Fellowship? We're going to expand on that a lot and we're going to spend a billion dollars doing it. Truly Woo! I'm ready. Okay. two more months to the day. Have... Two more months.
0: Wow. You're right. That's crazy. That won't be true for when you're listening to this, but crazy. Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> so by the time you listen to this, it will be even closer.
0: Even closer. <laughs> wow. That's exciting. I still want us to do like an after show, like maybe the next day. If we can if we can, I don't wrestle think we. People.
1: I don't think it's possible that we won't do that,
0: right? Even I if just it's also... just us
1: talking like this and recording it and putting <laughs> it out.
0: <laughs> yeah, I don't think it has to be anything like fleshed out or really researched. I just think it'll be fun to talk about, and people can listen or not. You know, I think we have uh, really covered these chapters fairly well, and then some you know Mm -hmm. so um tim please thank you so much for joining us this has been super fun i think you're coming back again for more um gondor stuff right
1: uh yes i think i'll be here for some very mary driven chapters which is awesome yeah i got pippin and let's do Mary.
0: yeah so that'll be awesome we can't wait to have you back and then um, do you want to remind people where they can find you on the interwebs?
1: You can find me at uh, GlanderingFoeHammer on TikTok. And from there, you can find various links and stuff, mainly to the Discord that we're all a part of, that you've mentioned several times on the show. Many of your guests are a part of or and or created it. That's where you can find me. That's the main place. I'll answer there before TikTok. So yeah. if you're not following or not a member of that Discord yet, you're missing out. Come join in and talk some Lord of the Rings and Tolkien, and lots of other stuff with us.
0: Yeah, it's definitely like the coolest kids in the, the Tolkien fandom on that
1: Discord. <laughs>
0: Am I saying too much? I don't know.
1: No, I, I, <laughs> I don't disagree. That's for it, sure.
0: It, it feels right. <laughs> so, um, thank you again so much for listening in on this episode. We'll be back with more Spooky Nazgul next time. At- <laughs> Anna I can tell you're excited um, I think uh, are the Gnosticals your favorite as far as our villains so far <laughs> I just I just like them so much they're so creepy I'm just I done know. with any
2: spooky creepy thing I gravitate well, towards the most and-
0: or we're about to see their house so love
2: it Yeah, Whew. it's gonna be great
0: so <laughs> join us next time find us on discord Um, And we will see you later.